Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by, by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You should give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. <clears throat> also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our conversation about the Second Amendment and gun control. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is September the 27th, and on this day in 1779, the Continental Congress appointed John Adams to travel to France as minister in charge of negotiating treaties of peace and commerce with Great Britain during the Revolutionary War. Adams had traveled to Paris in 1778 to negotiate an alliance with France, but had unceremoniously been dismissed when Congress chose Benjamin Franklin as sole commissioner. Soon after returning to Massachusetts in 1779, Adams was elected as a delegate to the state convention to draw up a new constitution. He was involved in these duties when he learned of a new diplomatic commission, accompanied by his young sons John Quincy and Charles, no mention of Henry here, uh, they sailed for Europe that uh, November aboard a French ship, the Sensible, which sprang a leak early in the voyage and missed its original destination, instead landing in El Ferro in northwestern Spain. After an arduous journey by mule train across the Pyrenees and into France, Adams and his group reached Paris in early February 1780, just pointing out the perils of travel back in the day. <clears throat> While in Paris, Adams wrote to Congress almost daily, sometimes several letters a day, sharing news about British politics, British and French naval activities, and his general perspective on European affairs. Conditions were unfavorable for peace at the time, and the war was going badly for the Continental Army, and a blunt and sometimes confrontational Adams clashed with the French government, especially the powerful foreign minister. In mid-June, Adams began a correspondence with a foreign minister in which he pushed for French naval assistance, antagonizing both him and Franklin, who brought the matter to the attention of Congress. By that time, Adams had departed France for Holland, where he was attempting to negotiate a loan from the Dutch. Before the end of the year, he was named American minister to the Netherlands, replacing Henry Lawrence, who had been captured at sea by the British. In June 1781, capitulating to the pressure from France diplomats, French diplomats, Congress acted to revoke Adams' sole power as peacemaker with Britain, appointing Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Jay, and Lawrence to negotiate alongside uh, him. The tide of the war was turning in America's favor, and Adams returned to Paris in October 1782 to take up what his part in the peace negotiations. As Jefferson didn't travel to Europe and Lawrence was in failing health after his release from the Tower of London, it was left to Adams, Jay, and Franklin to represent American interests. Adams and Jay both distrusted the French government in contrast with Franklin, but their differences of opinion and diplomatic styles allowed the team to negotiate favorable terms in the Peace of Paris, 1783, which settled the Revolutionary War. The following year, Jefferson arrived to take uh, Adams' place as American minister to France, forming a lifelong bond with Adams and his family before the latter left to take on a new post as American ambassador to London and continue his distinguished record of foreign service on behalf of the new nation. Of course, he ended up being was it, second president of the United States, if I'm not mistaken. Interesting story, John Adams. <laughs> Well, U.S. Uh, stocks got creamed yesterday. It uh, Dow notched its worst day since March following concerns over the latest home sales and consumer confidence reports. Uh, it's not going to be a bounce-back day necessarily because the futures are up, but uh, kind of a puny, <laughs> kind of puny opening, I think. So we'll see what happens to the market today. A third of Democrat voters would likely vote for John uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. if he runs as an independent in 2024 presidential election, according to a new survey. Uh, the Rasmussen Reports poll found 57% of likely Democrat voters plan to support Biden in the Democrat primaries, as opposed to 25% for Kennedy and 3% for Marianne Williams. Kennedy, the nephew, of course, murdered President John F. Kennedy. He emerged as Joe Biden's closest challenger for 2024. 
uh, in the uh, sent in his bid for the presidency. <clears throat> so there is some talk, some rumors that Kennedy could uh, break off and form uh, and work with a third party. If that happens, that is, would be devastating to the Democrats. Well, tonight's tonight. Seven candidates, including Doug Burgum, Chris Christie, Doug uh, Governor DeSantis. Uh, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, and Vivek Ramaswamy, and Senator Tim Scott have qualified for the second GOP presidential primary debate on uh, tonight at the uh, Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. Uh, former Governor uh, Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas was the only candidate from the first debate who failed to meet the party's polling threshold and individual donor requirements. A group of surrogates will stand in for former President Trump as tomorrow night's debate uh, because he won't be there. He'll be striking, meeting with the striking United Auto Workers in Michigan. He plans to visit. Now has uh, Democrats in a panic mode. Uh, one with uh, a union advisor describing the move as kind of genius. Other Trump team members will be on the ground with signs and posters promoting the former president, the report said. Uh, the two-hour debate will be air live starting at 9 p.m. on Fox Business and Univision, according to RNC, and will be carried on live stream by Rumble. Trump in more than 40-point lead over DeSantis in the second place, following by Ramaswamy, Haley, Pence, in that order. Christie, Scott, and Burgum each have less than 3% of the po uh, polling vote. On Tuesday, President Joe Biden visited members of the United Auto Workers who were striking against General Motors, uh, Ford, and Stellantis, the president, though, failed to make a mention that his electric vehicle program and mandates are partly responsible for the strike. Tens of thousands of auto workers are striking against the big three autos uh, across the United States, looking for, to secure a new labor contract that would include wage increases to keep up Biden's record inflation and commitments that their jobs will not be limited by Biden's green energy agenda, which includes EV mandates. Now, he was there. He went there to march, but he was there for 12 minutes. His 12-minute visit with United Auto uh, members, worker members in Wayne County, Michigan, Biden spoke for only 87 seconds and did not mention his EV agenda or even attempt to sell it as a bonus for auto workers. Biden left the strike uh, to jet off to California for a blitz of fundraisers with wealthy donors. So it was a photo op. Didn't say much, didn't do much. Of course, left a lot of questions like, is Biden supporting the workers? And uh, aren't they supposed, aren't the president supposed, isn't he supposed to stay out of these things? Uh, left uh, Jean-Pierre with a lot of questions to ask or answer. Well, another wild card, Michelle Obama delivered a one-hour speech at the tech fair in Munich, Germany, earning a staggering sum of $750,000. That's right. $750,000, the former first lady received this substantial compensation for addressing a startup event held alongside the famous Oktoberfest Beer Festival, according to sources closely connected to the conference organizers. The Bits and Pretzels conference spanned three days, offering a platform for founders of both national and international companies to share their journey to success. Obama was slated to speak before an audience of approximately 5,000 attendees, her topic of discussion centered on overcoming self-doubt and emphasizing the significance of inclusivity and diversity. Boy, that'll be a fascinating discussion, huh? To this day, Obama, Michelle Obama continues to enjoy significant support from American populace. In a recent YouGov survey, 77% of respondents expressed a favorable opinion of her, with only 15% holding an unfavorable view. Many, including uh, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, believe Michelle Obama will replace President Joe Biden as the Democrat nominee for president. And I think he's on to something there. <clears throat> I just don't think it's going to be the President Biden who's going to be running in 2024. Could be Michelle. She's pretty popular. And, of course, she would simply be a, a, a face for Barack Obama, who will continue, I'm sure, to uh, run, the, run the show if he's elected president, which I hope he won't. Representative Matt Gates issued his strongest threat to the Speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, in, in his leadership yet, hinting that he would file a motion to vacate in the coming days just ahead of the possible government shutdown. For the last eight months, this House has been poorly led, and we own that. We have to do something about it, Gets said on the House floor on Tuesday. His latest threat comes two weeks after Gets 
accused McCarthy of being out of compliance with the agreement that was brokered between the House rep- representatives in exchange for their support during the speakership elections in January, threatening to strip the GOP leader of his leadership position if McCarthy doesn't honor the concessions he said were initially made earlier this year. And he's he's got a point. Uh, McCarthy has not uh, pursued the agreement. He needed to get started on the uh, 12 bills to pass uh, the budget. He didn't do that. Now uh, they're running behind. They're going to try and get four out of the way this week. But that's uh, if they're going to get all 12 done, that's going to be have a, have a government shutdown, which, in my opinion, is not the end of the world, uh, frankly. <clears throat> Uh, data released Tuesday shows that Americans filed more than 39,000 bankruptcy cases in August 2023, an 18% increase from the same time last year. The data released by the uh, unusual Wales details how, along with personal bankruptcy filings, there were more than 41,600 new bankruptcy cases recorded in August, including for businesses. This marks the 13th consecutive month that bankruptcy filings have been shown a year-over-year increase under the Biden administration's embarrassing and dangerous economic policies. The bankruptcy filings are not a surprise to anyone with a finger on the pulse of the domestic and global economy, but likely comes as a shock to those trying to keep afloat. As so many families were lulled to a false sense of financial security during the after the COVID-19 pandemic, their ill-advised spending habits have landed them in hot water. So certainly the Biden administration and their policies have a lot to do with what's happening. But of course, people need to take responsibility for understanding, hey, this stuff can happen, especially under the Biden administration. And you need to make sure that you're well prepared for, for that. <clears throat> Well, a lesser-known component of the Biden administration's CBP One Parole Program allows inadmissible individuals to schedule flights directly to the United States interior airports by bypassing the border entirely. Recent information obtained by the Center for Immigration Studies through the Freedom of Information Act request shows that more than 200,000 people and individuals from four countries have utilized this direct flight and parole program in, in the past year. In January, the Department of Homeland Security, under President Joe Biden, initiated the core elements of its prevailing strategy for managing the southwest border. These measures, known as lawful pathways, were designed to reduce the historically high monthly encounters with immigrants crossing the border. It doesn't change the fact that people are coming here illegally, and uh, Biden is clearing the path and uh, making it happen. It's all illegal, and he should be held to account. Flying them in. Uh, to interior airports from parts in Mexico and other uh, locations. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Mm-hmm. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part or by, or we're providing you, I should say, we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, cato.org, on the web. Thank you for that, Bob. Uh, so we've been talking about for the last couple of shows uh, on Wednesday the, uh, about the Second Amendment and gun control. Now, tell us about this new New York gun case that, that was decided in 2022. Well, the two cases we've mentioned have been Heller which established the individual right to bear arms, and McDonald, which extended the right to all of the states, not just federal enclaves. The third big case was the one you referred to, and that's the case in New York in 2022. Heller addressed only the right to have a gun in the home for self-defense. But in this new case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, Bruin, the Supreme Court went a step further, and it considered <clears throat> the question whether the Second Amendment secured a right to carry firearms outside the home. And the court upheld, in that case, a challenge to a 1913 New York law that said, yeah, you could carry, but you had to have a special need to do so. And Justice Thomas uh, wrote that Americans generally have a right to carry outside the home for self-defense without proving a special need. So not only did that invalidate the New York law, but also threatened similar laws in D.C., California, New Jersey, Maryland, Hawaii, Massachusetts, and a number of other states. Uh, Previously, the court had followed a two-step approach in Second Amendment cases. Step one was to examine whether the proposed regulation is consistent with the text, the history, and the tradition of gun laws and the Constitution. Then step two would be assess whether or not there was a trade-off one way or the other between costs and benefits of the firearms uh, regulation. This Hmm. new case, Bruin, employed only the first step, dispensed with the second step, and concluded that New York had not met its burden to show that the regulation was consistent with text, history, and tradition. Well, it sounds like a step forward for constitutionalists and for people who support the Second Amendment. What's your assessment of the Bruin framework? Well, I have uh, mixed views about it. I think Bruin, on balance, was probably a mistake. Mm. Uh, The justices are not professional historians, um, just as in the abortion case, you know, they're they're not scientists or philosophers or theologians. Um, and Bruin's exclusive focus on history and tradition, I think, leaves too much wiggle room. And it ignores the obvious trade-off between gun rights on the one hand 
and the public's right to be safe on the other. And you know what's happened after Bruin, and this is just in the last year. First, we had a West Virginia judge who struck down a law prohibiting the possession of guns with obliterated serial numbers. We had a Texas judge that struck down a law barring gun purchases by persons under felony indictments, even violent crimes. We had a New York judge who struck down a law barring guns in libraries and bars. We had an appeals court that struck down a federal law that barred possession of persons that were under a domestic violence restraining order. That case, by the way, is now up before the Supreme Court. And then we had a Virginia judge, who, and this was just in May of this year, who struck down the ban on handgun sales to persons aged 18 uh, to 20. Now, presumably, none of those laws were present during the framing era, and since the court's following this one-stop, one-step approach, that's why those laws were struck down. I don't believe the Bruin framework is wise of public policy, and I think the former two-step approach was probably correct and should be restored. There are some reasonable regulations that I think uh, we should uh, allow to be considered despite the proscriptions of the Second Amendment. Well, that's so interesting. So uh, former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens recommended repealing the Second Amendment. Was that a serious proposal? Well, he thought it was. Um, I thought it was counterproductive and totally irresponsible. Uh, you, you recall the NRA used to cite the uh, pronouncement by the Brady Center co-founder uh, that the first problem is to slow down the number of handguns being sold. The second problem is to get handguns registered. And the final problem is to make possession totally illegal. Mm. So there was the proof, said the NRA, that the left just wants to get rid of our guns and kill the Second Amendment. Now, that narrative uh, had tradition among some hardcore gun rights people, but the Heller case actually diffused the argument by affirming that the Second Amendment is here to stay, and, and it secures a fundamental individual right. And then along comes Justice Stevens, uh, for many years the intellectual leader of the liberal wing of the court, and he breathes new life into this NRA storyline. So what better evidence do we have that the left wants a gun-free America? We have this liberal icon, Justice Stevens, who calls for repeal of the Second Amendment, and that's a proposal that will never be implemented. I mean, bear in mind we have open carry in 44 states, and the federal government can't stop that, even if they did repeal the Second Amendment. If they repealed it, it would likely incite riots. It would have little effect because people would ignore it. The Second Amendment does not prevent the states from enacting reasonable regulations, and its repeal wouldn't prevent the states from allowing things like assault weapons if they wanted or high-capacity magazines. So it's really state law and not the Second Amendment that often calls uh, the shots. Well, also the the bar for, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, it would take another amendment to the Constitution to invalidate the Second Amendment. That's a high bar. <laughs> and, That's an absolutely high bar. Of course, <clears throat> Justice Stevens would want to do it by chipping away at everything that the Second Amendment guarantees and have the courts simply invalidate those laws one by one. It's not going to happen. Yeah, so if, it, if the state law is what matters, then what's the role of the Second Amendment? Well, it prevents government from constructively banning a large class of weapons that are in common use for lawful purposes. That's what they tried to do in D.C. until the Heller case. And it's what they tried to do in Chicago until the McDonald case. And they've tried it in a few other locations. So that's what would happen again if the Second Amendment uh, were repealed. The Second Amendment sets the floor for gun rights. Mm -hmm. Some states might otherwise opt for fewer gun rights, and that's why the NRA's slippery slope argument uh, still resonates. 
So interesting. Bob Levy again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate this conversation about such an important issue. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Are you looking to buy or sell your home? Well, you can make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis at Gulf Coast International Properties. The phone number, 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Usually on our Wednesday morning discussions, we start off with a quote or some good news. I wonder if you have either. Well, I'm going to start out with a quote, which I've been doing the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think it's an important quotation uh, of what it uh, implies. The quotation is this. It is simply no longer possible to believe much of the clinical research that is published or to rely on the judgment of trusted physicians or authoritative medical guidelines. The author of this says, I take no pleasure in this conclusion, which I reach slowly and reluctantly over my two decades as an editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, Marsha Angel. So this is, uh, this is obviously an important quote because I think it, uh, it exposes, perhaps, the reality of our medical care industry. It is driven by profit in support of the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies in many cases, and it's also driven by politics, uh, as we've seen uh, consistently uh, with the politicization of the, of the COVID issue. So I think that comment from somebody who was in that position for two decades uh, editor of the New England Journal of uh, Medicine, I think it is a significant uh, comment, Bob. Well, I think the majority of the American people right now are in agreement with his statement. He obviously is an authority on this, but, you know, quite frankly, uh, the uh, public health system in America has been weaponized. I'm talking about the CDC, the FDA, uh, you name it. Uh, it's, it's become not a, a support for, but I think an enemy of the people. 
Yeah, there's so much uh, backing up, and, and what I mean by that is that the initial response from the medical community is negative, and then they eventually reveal the truth. For example, hydroxychloroquine is now being somewhat supported right. as a reasonable therapeutic uh, intervention uh, for COVID. <clears throat> for your audience, I'm just, I just want to let them know this is the after effects of COVID in my voice. So uh, that is what they're hearing right now. It doesn't go away quickly. Um, I have one interesting story. It's not a good news story, but I think I'd like to, uh, to discuss it at this point anyway, just to get it in. It's in defense of Joe Biden. Now, this is something I've never done, and I'll probably never do it again. Uh, but as I watch the stories unfolding about Joe Biden fell, Joe Biden stumbled, Joe Biden tripped on the stairs, I said, but they, it's not just offered as a commentary. It's offered with a suggestion that these things somehow suggest his general state of health or maybe even his mental health. Now, for your audience, again, I have a bad back. You know this, Bob. Yeah. I have a bad back. I stumble sometimes. My, my balance is not good. I have fallen several times over the past several years. But as far as I can tell and my, and my, <laughs> my readers can tell, my brain and everything else about me, my general health and everything else is solid. So when I see the uh, significant stories about uh, about uh, the Biden family often being ignored. For example, Comer uh, re- recently revealing that there's a $250,000 direct money uh, transfer into the Joe Biden home address in 2019. And, and that story is being somewhat diminished as they talk about Joe Biden tripping on a stair coming down over Air Force One. So yeah, that's a defense of Joe Biden. But it's more of a, it's more of an attack on the media, and I think their shallowness in terms of how they approach news stories. Well, absolutely, they've changed the set. Instead of talking about the real issues, which is, of course, our president compromising our international affairs uh, by taking, and it looks like it's more than fifty million dollars now that went to his family. Uh, you know, talking about the fact that he's wearing tennis shoes and falling down—that's <laughs> that's irrelevant compared to the real issues. I mean, it's just—it's just nonsense. I mean, here's a man that's perhaps guilty of treason, Bob, in right. terms of selling out the best interests of the United States to a foreign power. <clears throat> And yet they mention this, these stories as if they're significant. So I, I think we're in agreement on this. I, I, I would like to see the conservative commentary uh, uh, become somehow more profound in its, in its approach to the news stories. Uh, there is a good news story coming out of uh, someone on the left, and I think it has to be alluded to because I, I like to see these breaks in the, in the leftist armor. Uh, James Carville was recently on Bill Maher, and talking about the, the people on the left, he found them annoying and silly. Uh, yeah. Maher had just mocked the notion of pregnant men. And Carville said, they're not evil, they're just goofy. And so here you have uh, someone who was undeniably a creature of the left, uh, James Carville, who effectively is clearly identifying what almost all of us understand, the people on the left uh, well, I'd like to think in many, many occasions they are evil, but I think we can all agree that they're just goofy, Bob. They, they are goofy. I will say this, though. The real issue, of course, is uh, they're looking to upset this, the culture, change the culture. Uh, again, it's a, a move towards Marxism away from the Constitution. And there is method in their madness, but you're, you're absolutely right. It is goofy. I, I think your point should be uh, understood by uh, by your audience, and I, I, I presume it may be, but uh, let me just reinforce. This is not just incidental things that the left is doing. Right. This is an orchestrated, organized, uh, conspiratorial process of the trying to destroy the culture. And unfortunately, at this point, they are succeeding. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that point, uh, Andy. Any other good news? Um, let's see. There's a good news story by inference. Uh, Katie Porter, the Democratic congresswoman running for Senate in California, has recently said that Republican women do not count as women when it comes to achieving gender equality in Congress. Uh, she says, to me, equality is not electing Joni Ernst. So I'm just wondering at what point the women of America are going to begin to understand that they're just political weapons of the left, that there's really no concern with women per se. For example, by Porter indicating that Republican women, conservative women, are not even to be counted as women, I think indicates that uh, indicates that very clearly, Bob. That's such an interesting point. You can recall back just not many years ago, of course, the women's movement was so critical and so important, and right now they've been marginalized. And now with uh, 
guys saying that they're women and uh, participating in women's sports, right, has begun to, in, in fact, negate the, the progress that's been made. Well, I think, and I'm going to talk about the Neil Gorsuch ruling uh, a little bit later on in, uh, today, but I think the Neil Gorsuch ruling where uh, he defined uh, sex as, as created in the 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, as now indicating gender identity. And I think as, he's, as he did that, he totally opened up a huge can of worms uh, for many organizations. You can see that uh, recently at the Daughters of the American Revolution. Now, I've made several presentations uh, at the DAR uh, over the years. Uh, this is a very conservative group, obviously. But now, particularly because of the Gorsuch ruling uh, in this area, they are going to be, uh, it's going to be demanded that they accept fake women into their into their ranks. Uh, so I think this Gorsuch ruling, let, let me spend some time with it now. Uh, uh, Gorsuch is a textualist. In other words, he wants to try to look at the words exactly as we would read them today textualization. Uh, in fact, that is not the basic way of interpreting a constitutional ruling. It should be done with intention. Uh, so if we look at the intent of the 1964 use of the word sex, it specifically defined it uh, as, a, as, a, as a sexual identity uh, it reflected in women with XX chromosomes. It was very precise, very specific in, in what a woman was. Yet Gorsuch because they used the word sex, and he textualized that uh, to mean the, the current circumstance of gender identity has opened up all of these environments uh, for the problems that we're seeing. So here you have a conservative justice, in my estimation now, Bob, that went in completely the wrong direction as it pertained to this issue, Bob. That is so interesting, and it's really news to me. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Andy, we've got so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcast. Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and putting on some great productions. I hope you'll get tickets. You can go to the website and find out more. Golf Shore Playhouse. 
org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. A- Andy, any more good news? Um, <clears throat> it's good news in my estimation because it supports something that uh, I've been uh, really against uh, since its beginning, and that's electric vehicles. Uh, so I'm, let me run together a few stories. First of all, we have the UAW that is uh, uh, striking for for higher wages. Uh, let's say we can agree that they deserve some form of increased wage, certainly not the, uh, the incredible amount they were looking for. No matter how it unfolds, this is going to have inflationary impact uh, on the economy, and certainly as the, uh, the cost of American vehicles go up, probably the major benefactors of all this are going to be the foreign manufacturers operating in the United States who do not have UAW inside their, uh, their production facilities. Uh, so I think this is going to have inflationary impact that will be significant, uh, and I think, uh, as, along with many other factors, the average American family is slowly being priced out uh, of the car, the car market, uh, and it's really going to be a, a tremendous burden. I can link that story uh, to recent reports coming out of Ford Motor Company that announced its projected loss uh, for this year. billion from electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. The projected loss they anticipated was $3 billion. So $4.5 billion loss uh, for Ford Motors from the EV division. One one unit alone, the Ford Model E, has lost $1.8 billion on its own. Uh, This can be associated with uh, Ford uh, announcing uh, sometime this week that it would uh, pause or eliminate construction of a billion-dollar plant in Michigan that involved a Chinese electric vehicle battery company. So you have these stories running together. The the rapidly accelerating uh, inflationary impact of the UAW strike coupled with the pressure to move into the purchase of EVs being mandated by law. This is something that has to give. This process going forward cannot exist. Otherwise, the average American is going to have a total change in their lifestyle because automobiles will not be part of it, Bob. You're absolutely right. We've, we're seeing creative destruction right in our own, uh, right in this issue right now. And uh, the, the whole market is changing. It's be interesting to see where it ends up. My prediction is this electric vehicle thing is not going to last. Well, I, I predict in reality it should never have been, and I don't think it should last. But again, with the government mandates and the fanaticism that we've seen, uh, I would suggest it's somewhat similar to the uh, to the uh, the climate change process with yeah. this uh, hyperbolic uh, positioning of it. Uh, this hyperbolic positioning, while uh, generally, if, even if we buy into their arguments, uh, the atmospheric level of CO2 has gone up, even as all of these uh, actions are being taken, particularly in America and Europe, uh, to minimize carbon output. Uh, the big, uh, the big uh, problem in this area, of course, is China. China's still putting on, I think, uh, two major coal-burning plants every single week. And so you have the world the damaging their economies uh, all the time based on, on climate change, whereas China is almost being totally ignored, and they are the major creators of carbon output uh, on this planet. So uh, this is, these are in- incredible stories that, uh, that tend to not be fully disclosed, in my estimation, uh, by the media, Bob. I agree with that, Andy. And in fact, the irony is that uh, in the last couple of years, we've actually seen the use of carbon-based fuels, the volume of carbon-based fuels go up, not down, in spite of our protestation. So we're destroying our own economy for what? <laughs> it's having no possible result whatsoever. And, by the way, my, my position is that this, is, this whole carbon-based uh, fuel thing is a, is a theory. It's not proven by science. And the fact, if we wanted to have more, less carbon dioxide, just plant more trees. Well, look, you know, there are more trees in America right now than there were at the turn of the 20th century. Really? I mean, so we, we have an enormous amount of trees. Uh, the, the Amazon is certainly the, uh, one of the major suppliers of oxygen in the, in the, uh, in the, in the globe, on the globe. Uh, and essentially, but that's, that's just something that could be said that is true. It's, it's almost to make a point that, uh, that there are mechanisms within the natural process uh, to control carbon dioxide. Right. You, know, you might even say the planet has designed these in themselves. 
it, it themselves. I don't want to make the, uh, the 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 planet anthropomorphic, but again, I think the planet does have controlling factors when it comes to carbon dioxide. But absolutely, Andy, I want to change the topic a little bit. We've got the debate coming up, and one of the people on the stage is going to be our own Governor DeSantis. Uh, it's happening at nine o'clock in Simi Valley at the uh, Reagan Presidential Library. Uh, what is it? Just see if you have any thoughts on what's going on. Well, you know, and I, I remain a strong Donald Trump supporter. Right. Uh, there are some of the recent reports, uh, the polling reports show that uh, Trump is is leading uh, Biden by uh, nine or ten percent in the in the national polling. Uh, those are p- perhaps outliers. If not outliers, they are just liars by, by many people's estimation. Yeah. In other words, uh, many are suggesting that these polls are artificially created because the Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. And so in that process of wanting to run, and I, I'm not defending that position, I'm just stating it has been suggested it is their position that they want to run against Donald Trump. So there's been a lot of polls that have been created to, to support uh, that potential going into the future. That is so interesting, Andy. Uh, so what about DeSantis? Uh, what's your view on, on him? Well, DeSantis, uh, let, let me back up a little bit to where I think uh, I was just uh, a year ago. Uh, DeSantis was, the, in my estimation, the greatest governor that this, that this state has ever seen. Uh, I think he earned that positioning by his, uh, by his uh, actions in the state. Uh, I think he handled himself beautifully in this state, and I'm, I'm emphasizing in this state, because I think it's been pointed out even by uh, some of the DeSantis supporters. Here's a, a, a comment, a quotation, if I can find it. Yeah, they said DeSantis is running a horrible presidential campaign and can't get his act together in how he communicates. There's no softness, no compassion, just tension and defensiveness, which is likely getting worse uh, in the face of his polling. Now, those aren't my words, uh, but again, this is coming from a, a DeSantis supporters. Uh, she goes on to say he just defends, 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 hammers away, bobbles his head, gets bug-eyed, and raises his voice into a horrible pitch. Now, having said that, those are commentaries that are, that are coming out of uh, out of several areas of, of the, the media, uh, some of them, as I just indicated, coming from DeSantis supporters. So I think this is unfortunate. I think it's also unfortunate that the uh, Trump campaign is spending such an enormous amount of money uh, in going after DeSantis and attacking him. Uh, I think it's, it's perhaps outrageous in many of its implications, the size of, of this attack. Terry Lake in Arizona uh, has recently just just authored several fallacious comments about about Ron DeSantis in terms of it being no better in his response to COVID than was Gavin Newsom. He says he didn't close down the beaches and he mandated uh, 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 face masks. Uh, and you know, he did that for several weeks at the very beginning of this process. And much of that was authored by the mayor of, of, of Miami, not by DeSantis. So you get the these kind of distortions coming out of Kerry Lake, who's a strong, a strong Trump supporter, and probably doing it for that reason. Yeah. You have much of the Trump campaign attacking DeSantis. Now, the problem is that I think there's a very good chance that through some um, mechanism in this society that Donald Trump will not be able uh, to seek the presidency in 2024. I, I'm not predicting that that end will will be there. I'm just suggesting it must be considered uh, by uh, Republicans and conservatives right now that Trump may not be a viable candidate, not through any fault of his own, but through the machinations of what is happening around him. Now, if that is true, if Trump, for whatever the reason, is not the candidate in 2024, I have to feel, and many feel, that the only viable, strong conservative uh, on the Republican uh, in the pr- primary uh, numbers is Ron DeSantis. Yeah. So at this point, uh, there is so much being done to damage this great man, damage Ron DeSantis, that if the inevitable that might occur, this Trump cannot run. I hope we have not so damaged Ron DeSantis, and he's contributed to it with his, his lack of national platform skills. I Certainly that's true. But those type of deficiencies are not inherent deficiencies in DeSantis. 
DeSantis himself. Uh, I would suggest he became a bit wishy-washy in the last debate in terms of how he described whether he continued giving billions of dollars to Ukraine, where he did not suggest we shouldn't, but he just said that Europe should. We have no control over Europe, Ron. I hope you've noticed that. So I think Ron has contributed to this with his his lack of national platform skills. Uh, but I think we're looking at a man who is a uh, a great man, uh, a man that would be a fine president. Uh, but if if we continue to destroy him, if the event occurs where Trump cannot run, I don't know if DeSantis remains viable going into 2024. So that is uh, not necessarily a change in my position, but I do want to speak aggressively for the fact that we have to stop this this haranguing of Ron DeSantis. He is a fine man, a great man by many estimations, uh, and has and has so many remarkable things about him that I don't think this man should be damaged at this point, Bob. Well, thank you for that, Andy. I mean, my position has been all along, I'm just happy he's on the national stage. He's getting his nose bloodied a little bit with what's going Going on, I think it'll better prepare him to become our president in 2028. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure that anything is going to deter uh, President Trump from being on the national stage as our candidate for president, for the Republican candidate as president. I, I certainly hope you're right about that. You know, I've been a strong Trump supporter uh, almost <clears throat> the whole way. Yeah. Uh, but again, I, I just don't. Uh, I, I think there has to be the, 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 the possibility explored if Trump, for whatever the reason, maybe by his own choice, decides not to run. I, I don't see that happening, but right. I think we have to explore possibilities. And I think if that occurs, then Ron DeSantis is the go-to guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think we have to stop this this constant process. There are uh, billions being, being uh, perhaps billions is overstating it, but at least hundreds of millions being spent on n- nothing other than damaging Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, so I think this has to be brought under control so that your position can be fulfilled, if necessary, in 2028, if not 2024, Bob. All right. Well, Andy, you know what? I appreciate the commentary. We have another segment. I want to take another commercial break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to remind you that Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center is known for its terrific breakfasts or lunches. Well, now they're serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., and the menu is just terrific. 
Uh, Chef Richie just does a great job in serving some comfort food as well as meatloaf, chop steak, and, and more. So I hope you'll put Lulabee's Diner on uh, your agenda for having a casual dinner and inexpensive and great value. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And again, Andy, thank you so much for joining Always us. Always good to be here, Bob. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about what's happening with our CDC and the whole purchase of tests by the federal government for COVID and all that nonsense. What are your thoughts? Well, I think the story ties into my early quote of the day in terms of distortion of of. Uh, published clinical trials, for example, by the, by the medical community. And a medical examiner, in reviewing the deaths uh, from COVID, uh, found out, and this was the percentage that surprised me, uh, he found that only 1% to 2%, 1% to 2% of COVID deaths were really COVID. Right. Uh, now, right from the beginning, we certainly heard that this, the numbers were inflated. Somebody was, was killed in a motorcycle accident but had COVID, and COVID was listed as the cause of death. We've, heard, we've all heard those stories. But the number that came out of this, uh, uh, this re- report indicating 1% to 2% of COVID deaths were really COVID. The rest, uh, he found, were, were basically deaths by ischemia, myocardial infarction, uh, or diabetes, or, uh, and so forth. Uh, but again, one to two percent. This sort of ties in with a, a story coming out of one of my classrooms. One of my students uh, needed some time off because her, her fiancé had, had, had passed uh, at, from COVID. He was a young man, only 25 years of age, and a very upsetting story to, for, for her and certainly for me to be involved with. Uh, but then she published a picture of uh, this fellow must have weighed 450 pounds. <laughs> so again, here you have, again, a circumstance. Yes, he probably died with COVID. But was COVID the actual cause? No, I think gross obesity uh, was the cause of this. So we, this is the politicization of our of our medical community for uh, for political intent. And if one to two percent holds true in most of these explorations of of COVID deaths, I think we're looking at a whole different type of, of problem uh, than the original one that was presented to us. Out of curiosity, and now this probably says more about me than uh, the question I'm about to ask you than it says about the situation, but uh, right now, would you trust a COVID test pr- provided to you by the federal government uh, to, to see if you have COVID? No, I, I, at this point, unfortunately, I've become grossly cynical, if yeah. I might, where I don't trust anything coming out of the government. I don't trust anything uh, right. coming out of the community, of, uh, of, the, of the medical community. I do trust my, my personal uh, family physician right. uh, because I know him. I've talked to him, and I know, I know how he feels, and I know his philosophy. So I trust him because I know him. Right. But if you look at the gross the larger uh, medical community, no. Uh, and the government authoring that, uh, there is nothing that comes out of that medical community that is not the position that the government wants. And that is a, is a horrible thing to suggest, but I think it can be validated across the board uh, in, in the work we've seen, certainly over the last three or four years. Well, as uh, Mark Twain once said, always support your company or your country and your government when it deserves it. And right now, in this day and age, rarer and rarer. It, it absolutely is. I, I know you've got a comment you'd like to make about South Africa. We've got to run here, but uh, let me uh, just turn the floor over to you and get your thoughts. Uh, you, did you mention you say South Africa? Yes. Well, I mean, South Africa is not the United States, but it's, it's going through uh, certainly critical race theory as the driving force. Uh, the white population has been diminished. They can't get work. Many are being uh, driven into poverty. Uh, their whole uh, infrastructure is collapsing. Their, their, their energy production facilities are collapsing. Their airlines, their trucking, uh, trucking community is collapsing. Uh, and primarily, if not exclusively, because of this broad-based application of critical race race theory and how it diverts funds into uh, unnecessary areas and diminishes the funds where they should be going. There were huge amounts of money allocated during the Mandela uh, period uh, to rebuild the the energy facilities, and yet that money was all diverted into essentially entitlement programs in South Africa, Bob. It's so true, and you know what? We're so fortunate. Even though we're not paying as much attention to it as we should, we're so fortunate to have our founding fathers created this Constitution by which it creates a uh, creates a situation where we should all be free 
and uh, be able to make our individual choices and the government has its own lane in which it means to participate, uh, hopefully we're not going to be going down that path. Well, and he always conclude with CNN recently had a Chiron that said uh, the Constitution attacks and destroys democracy. So, I mean, that is something the media is now advocating essentially as a position. Unbelievable. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. All right. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here at today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show as well. Uh, if you have, if you enjoy the show, I hope you pass the word on to your friends, by the way. And uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>